1: Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for, and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Welcome to my second episode with Alan Gratz. If you missed last week, and it's okay if you did because we all have things to do, then I'll catch you up and tell you that Alan Gratz is the number one New York Times best-selling author of 17 novels for young readers. A Knoxville, Tennessee native, Alan is now a full-time writer living in Asheville, North Carolina, with his wife and daughter. Please enjoy the rest of my conversation with Alan. I... Want to transition a little bit because I would love to talk about what's coming out in January. Oh yeah! I was just following my husband around the house, which I tend to do because I like to talk (laughs) at him sometimes, which he (laughs) really appreciates. But I was telling him about the story behind it. So, I Captain America and the Ghost Army. This is your first graphic novel, correct?
0: It is. It is. I'm excited. Tell me
1: what it's about. I can't wait to hear. I'm yeah yeah totally.
0: So, I, I've been a comic book reader all my life. I told yeah. you part of my before I was even published in kids' books, I was going to comic book conventions, showing off my scripts and trying to get, get hired as a writer. None of that ever worked. And I kind of put that dream away. And I thought, you know, when I sold, when I sold a, book, a kid's book and I was like, okay, this is, I, I got something. I'm going to follow that. And, and, and I love writing kids' books. And so that's never going to change. But right. So, I, I kind of had to put away that dream of writing comics because I thought, well, it just didn't happen. It's fun. I still read comics and graphic novels all the time. That's cool. And then I saw that Marvel was teaming up with Scholastic to do graphic novels with young versions of their characters or young characters. So like Miles Morales, Spider-Man, or Ms. Marvel, or Shuri from Black Panther. Each of those characters is already young in the Marvel universe and and is getting a middle-grade graphic novel. I saw this announcement, and I called up my agent, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Scholastic, it's Marvel, it's comics. I I, I want to pitch something. How can I get in on this? Totally. And she said, well, cool, tell me what you would want to write. And so I, I thought about it for a long time and I was like, "For there's a ton of characters I love and, sure. that I would want to write for. But I thought, again, and this gets back to trying to make sure that my stuff feels like it connects.
1: Yes. I was like,
0: what could I write that feels like it fits in with all the other books I've been writing with a lot of the, with all the prose novels. It doesn't fit with all of them, but I was like, wait, World War II. I've written a lot of books about World War II. Captain America was around in World War II. He was a really young kid slash man. He was like 18, you know, when he got the the super soldier serum. And so I was like, I'm going to pitch him Captain America and his buddy, Bucky Barnes, fighting Nazis in World War II. And I came back to them with just that much. Like, this is what I want to do. And they were right. like, oh my gosh, we're all in. And so I was like, great, because I'm all in. And it, it was just like the perfect marriage of what I was already doing in prose yes. novels to this Marvel universe. And I, I had a blast. I I also, because I write a lot about World War II, I, I have a whole like clip file of things I that might turn into books. Yes. And some of them are just never going to pan out. They're just... The idea isn't enough. Maybe I'll use that element in another book or, you know, maybe I'll never be able to use it. One of those ideas was the Ghost Army. So the Ghost Army is a real thing. So the Ghost Army in World War II was a United States Army unit that was made up of artists and musicians and stage magicians and advertising copywriters. They basically grabbed a whole bunch of creative people mm-hmm. and people who are good at, 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 at creating illusions stage illusions uh, or, or illusions, you know, faking people out with their words or, or, or that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, and they put them together in one group. They called it the ghost army. They had this amazing patch of a ghost, like, you know, was, was lightning yes, striking I, from his hand or something. I saw it this and morning. yeah, you got, you got to look it up. If you're listening oh. to the podcast, you got to look it up. It's amazing. The, so they had this patch. It was a real army unit and their job was to trick the enemy. Their job was to make they, they they were mo- they, they operated in on the Eastern, well, in the European theater, let's say. And so their job was to trick the Nazis into thinking we had more soldiers in a place than we had or that we were attacking in a different place than we really were. So they created inflatable tanks that from right up close, you're like, this is a tank that's just blown full of air. But if you're flying over in a spy plane, it looks like a bunch of tanks in a field. Yes. They created fake airplanes. They would record the sounds of armies on the march and then play those through loudspeakers on trucks to make people think that larger groups of people were moving through an area. They created sometimes entirely uh, like entire fake army encampments with fake tents and they would hang fake laundry out like the people had been hanging their laundry. I mean, they went to, they went all into all these little details just to try and fool the enemy into thinking we had more people or, or, or material uh, in places we didn't. So I had this note, and I was like, oh, I want to write something about the Ghost Army. Absolutely. But there were no kids in the Ghost Army. Sadly. And I'm writing about kids, and I've always find an angle. I'd love to write a story about bombers, but I don't know how you get a kid on a bomber. There's just no way to get a kid on a bomber. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not going to happen. They can't so, I, And I don't want to write a story about a kid on the ground, because again, the thrilling part is being in the plane, right? Right. So yes. that's a story that's probably never going to happen for me, but— this one, I thought, eh, I'll see if I can do something with the Ghost Army at some point. I could still have, like, a kid in France or something who teamed up with them. But now, I was like, I've got it. Cap and Bucky will meet the Ghost Army, and they will work together with the Ghost Army. And because it's a comic book, because it's fantasy, yeah, I let that inspire me for the villains. And now, so Baron Mordo is a villain from the Doctor Strange universe, And Marvel was like, you can take characters from anywhere. It was amazing. So I pulled in this villain from the Doctor Strange universe, and now he is resurrecting dead Nazi soldiers as ghosts to fight again against the Allies. And so Cap and the ghost army are actually fighting a literal ghost army of resurrected soldiers. So I I had a I had a, a ton of fun writing this. I love World War II. I love writing about World War II. I love Captain America and Marvel stories. And so I got to do all that at once. So it was an absolute joy to write. I've written the script. It's finished. The artist is working on the art right now. And it's amazing. I get to see like the sketches, then the inks and then the colors. And it's just amazing as this all comes together. Brent Schoonover is the lead artist on the Mm -hmm. book. He's been doing really, really amazing stuff. And it's just kind of a joy to see all that art come in. The book was supposed to come out this summer, okay in summer of 2022 yes but but uh, it, it's just not going to be ready and there's no. been all kinds of printing and production delays and publishing you've probably seen this on yes. your end with books that get delayed or pushed back so it's looking like right now it says january okay. 2023 spring that's what we call that starting then the spring season even though it's okay. still in the middle of winter i hope it's still january but it's yeah. going to be after the turn of the year in 2023 but i promise it'll be worth the wait
1: Oh, I have no doubt. I just, <laughs> as soon as I read the premise, I thought, I'm all in. And I love that you were able to pull from other Marvel. I mean, what a gig, right? I That's tell you, the so Marvel amazing. folks were
0: awesome. They oh. they said right from the start, they're like, put in as many Easter eggs and references to other Marvel stuff as you want. Oh my and gosh. that was amazing because as a longtime Marvel reader, I had a bunch of those things like in my head. And I wanted to use them, but I was worried that they would say, oh kids aren't going to know who the Maximovs are or they're right. not going to know what this is or that. And they were like, no, put it in. And if they don't get it, they'll get it later. And that was a, that was really amazing. So they really encouraged me to put in this stuff. It had to be from the comics, sure. not from the movies, not from the movies. So, okay. Yeah. They love the movies too. They, but, but the, the comics world is what I was drawing from. And so my version of Barry is from the comics, not from the movies, that sort of thing. My version of Bucky Barnes is a, is a kid like in the original comics not a person who's the same age as Captain America is in the movies so like like in the first Captain America movie they make they make Steve and and Bucky, and bucky the same age yeah. and just you know serving together in the comics he was a kid uh, bucky was a kid who lived on the army base because his father had been in the army and his father died in a training accident and then he didn't have anywhere to go, and so the base kind of adopts him. You know, it's the huh. it's the 30s, you know, when sure. the, yeah. Child and Family Services wasn't going to come get the kid, I guess. <laughs> nope. And so he, like, grows up on the army base and learns how to fight and be, and be sneaky and kind of becomes this kid commando in the original wow. comics. And then he actually, in the original comics, discovers that Steve Rogers is Captain America, like, figures out his secret identity. At the time, it was a secret. And so rather than then, you know, like, to, to handle yeah. the situation, Steve's like, just be my sidekick. And so so it's you've got this, like, 18-, 19-year-old guy who's Captain America with this teenager sidekick. That's what my version of Cap and Bucky is now.
1: Oh, amazing. I didn't yeah. know that. I don't know a lot of the... I mean, I'm more sure. movie-centered, but yeah. the boys do educate me occasionally on
0: different <laughs> the differences. Well, and, and so my hope is that with this book, and, and I pitched it to Marvel this way, that people who know the Marvel universe, I hope, will love it. And people who don't know the Marvel comic book universe, it'll be like a first run for them and a and a you know, dipping their toes in this in a huge ocean of content that that Marvel has. And so that's really how they've seen these books as a as an entree into their comic book universe for yes. kids who haven't, of course, read decades of comics yet.
1: Yes. Oh, I love that. That's gonna be so yeah. exciting. Hopefully it will all. Be smooth sailing from here on out. I know. but It's going to yeah. happen eventually. It's yes. just
0: when. But I hope that it comes out in, in early 2023. I do have, though, a prose novel that will come out in fall of 2022. October, right? I'd love right? to mention that, too. Yeah, please. Yeah. I was
1: going to ask. Oh, I'm excited about that one, but I have to confess I'm also super stressed about reading it because I live in California. And I was like, oh, oh
0: yeah, yeah. this is
1: just going to hit. So tell us about that one. Two Degrees. Yeah,
0: right. So Two Degrees. That's the book's title, and it comes out. Uh, it's slated to come out in October. Yeah. Again, that's 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 what we're planning on. Right. Fingers crossed that you know the that a wave doesn't knock the the, the the you know the the storage unit over and they sink to the bottom of the sea. as happened with a couple of cookbooks this this last season. Yes, for the lazy genius. That? What's that? The Lazy
1: Genius, Kendra Bachi. Yeah. She yeah. mentioned that. Yes. And I hate the word supply chain so much right now. I know. I mean, anytime. I'm I know. Just like, but yeah, but literally, cookbooks in the but bottom Literally, of the ocean.
0: like there are sitting at the bottom of the yes. ocean, like like 10,000 cookbooks that didn't make That's it and the entire print run. So th- there's all kinds of wacky stuff going on right now. But hopefully, fingers crossed that this okay. book makes it yep. in October. Come so on. it's called Two Degrees and it is about three different kids Sorry, actually, four different kids, three kind of POV characters. One of them Mm -hmm. has a really good friend who hangs out with them the whole time. But four kids in three different places who are all surviving climate disasters that are due to climate change. And so, as you said, there is a girl in California who is trying to survive a megafire with her horse. Mm. There are two boys in Churchill, Manitoba, up in Canada, who are trying to escape polar bears who've come in on land to hunt because the sea ice isn't forming because it's too hot. And it's about a girl in Miami, Florida, who is surviving the big one, a hurricane that hits Miami and tries to survive and save her neighbor's dog at the same time. So four different kids, three different places. And then Two Degrees of Climate Change. That's why the title, Two Degrees, since the beginning of, I, listen, I could go on for this for an hour, but I'll just try to it. do this succinctly. You're one of the first people I've talked to about this book, so I don't have my patter down yet, but I love it. thanks. So since the beginning of the industrial era, mm-hmm. the, temper, the average temperature of the earth has gone up about one, 1. 1.2 degrees Celsius. And that doesn't seem like a lot. But but we as human beings and all of the things that live on this planet live in very specific sort of temperature ranges. And yes. any subtle change to that has can have really catastrophic effects. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we think we can put on a coat or we can run an air conditioner and, and we'll be all right, you know, if, if if the temperature changes just a little bit. But an average change could mean drought conditions in a place and food scarcity. Um, it could mean melting ice caps, which means that the, it means a lot of things that the water level rises, but also as the, as the ice melts and the albedo, like the, 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 the albedo is gone for the sunlight to hit that and reflect back out into space. And instead it's just hitting the earth and it's hitting the ocean. And as the oceans warm up, when things warm up, they expand. And so we get even higher water levels and hurricanes Mm -hmm. are, they feed on warm water. And so the warmer the ocean is, the bigger and more intense and more frequent are hurricanes. It's all connected. It's all, all these things are connected. And as the temperature rises out in California, you guys are dealing with this drought conditions for a decade. You're dealing with all of the moisture gets sucked out of the houses and the trees and the the, the stuff on the ground so that one little spark. Yeah. And you know, Mm. it's scary stuff. Things can really go up. They're dealing with this in Australia. It's not just a California problem. They're dealing with wildfires in the tundra for the first time ever because it's always been too damp and too cold. And now with the temperature rise, that's changing. So two degrees of temperature change is the level that the Paris Accord set and said, if we hit two degrees above our pre-industrial levels, Mm -hmm. we might be at the point of no return. Right that 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 might be the place where we can't turn it back, where we can't change things. Right. So the, the governments of the world, the nations of the world said two degrees, this far and no farther.
1: Mm-hmm. And we're
0: already past one degree. And there are estimates that we w- we could be at or well past two, even by 2100, if we don't turn things around. And so the the book, that's where the two degrees of the title comes from, is that that benchmark and yeah. making sure that kids know about that and know that we can't, even at 1.5, things are going to get really bad. Yes. But if they get to 2, they might be irreversible. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to hammer home with these kids, is that climate change isn't, you know, for a long time, we as adults kind of saw it as something that was down the road that might happen. Yes. And I'm here to tell you, it's happening. It's, it's already here. Mm-hmm. Like People are already dealing with it. And during one three-month period in 2021, I try to remember what year it is now. Yeah. Last year, in one three-month period, one third of Americans were in what FEMA classifies classified as a, as a disaster area thanks to climate change. One third of Americans in one little stretch of time. And that's just at 1.2 degrees of temperature rise. If we get to 1.5 or two or or two degrees, that's going to be happening to more of us all of the time. And so the story is about those three kids surviving their climate disasters at the same time, at mm-hmm. the exact same moment in different places in North America. And of course, like a lot of my other books, the kids are connected in ways that they don't know and that the reader doesn't know and that I reveal at the end. So hopefully there's some nice surprise. I won't spoil that here. Of course. But again, a page turner, it's you know survival stories, but also with that social element to mm-hmm. it, climate change. I- I've had teachers and kids asking me for years to write a book about climate change. And I was like, I, it's such a huge topic. I was like, I didn't even right. know where to start. And in fact, it was a really difficult book to kind of get a handle on. I Was I going to tell stories of kids all around the world? Oh, yeah. You know, how many stories? Because because there's climate change stuff happening everywhere yes. to different people all over the world. And so I finally tried to just rein it in and bring it closer to home. So mm-hmm. hopefully it will resonate a lot more um, with North American readers. But it's a big subject, a lot of science, a lot of stuff I had to research and tackle. But I'm really proud of the book and I, and I think kids will love it.
1: I think it's going to be so valuable. I'm so glad you wrote it because I like the idea that, you know, a lot of your books are sort of, they're backward-facing and this is a forward-facing book. Right, right. And And I love that because in addition to the wonderful thing about, or a few wonderful things about middle schoolers, I think they are much more capable of change and they can drive a lot. And I know I've seen that even with ours, you know, they've seen, my younger son saw a video on the use of plastics and how they had found a whale with a lot of plastic inside him. And that has been a huge driver. I mean, I've pulled out a Ziploc a few times and he has said, can you put that in a dish instead? And those But I appreciate that and have told him that. I'm so thankful for that. So it sounds like your novel's perfectly timed. Also, it makes me want to just crawl into a corner and weep all day. I mean, it's so intense.
0: Yes, it's very intense stuff. And if I could give a little bit of advice to you and anybody else who's listening do not choose to write a book about climate change during a pandemic. Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to no dealing tip. with the pandemic, I was oh. also dealing with the existential crisis of climate change intently in my office. Not probably the best choice for my mental health. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that oh. the, the, the book needed to be written 10 yes. years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years right. ago. So no matter when it was going to come out, it was almost going to be too late. Not It's not too late. I don't mean to say, like too late to change, but it could have been it could have been years earlier. So sure. I, I'm I'm glad to be getting it out as soon as possible right. because again, like your son, there are a lot of things that, that we can do right now and that kids can do right now. Yes. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, that about kids. I, I've always said that I one of the reasons I also love writing for kids, especially the kind of books that I do, is that kids are more open to changing their mind. They're not as set in their ways. Yes, and if I can get to them now and, and, and get them to be activists about something, yes. then you get a lot more time of that activism <laughs> with an adult. <laughs> like if, if I convinced, you know, my dad to do something, you know, that's great, but he's 80, you know, so yeah. like no dad, but, but I'd rather get the kid who's like, Twelve, because then really? I'm going to get a lot more decades out of that investment. <laughs> so, totally. so, I want uh, you yeah. to be
1: on the upward track of the roller right. coaster. Yeah,
0: hopefully my dad's got a I lot decades of decades left in course. him. Of course, but I, yeah, but I totally <laughs> want uh, the kids to to get to them early and say like. And this is something that I struggle with personally. Is I, when I talked about being oblivious in middle school, I wasn't yeah. just oblivious to peer pressure and that sort of thing. It's kind of oblivious to the world. Mm. And it took me—I I carried that obliviousness pretty deep into college, and, and 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 had a good friend who was a roommate who would laugh at me, and I just like like Alan, you're just not paying attention. You don't see the world. You are not you are not looking at the big picture. Right. And it's taken me a lot of my adult life to get to that place. Hmm. And I wish I'd started earlier, you know, so I, I'm not looking to, to make kids. I don't want kids to have to grow up fast. Yes. I don't want, I don't want a 12 year old to have to feel like they're 30 already. That's, that's a horrible burden. Of course. But because the world is coming at them, because they're being asked to be more mature now at 12 than we asked people hundred years ago to be a mature at 12, I want to give them a little help.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and seeing the positive side of that, right, where they are yeah. perhaps more aware. They're yes, more subject to these these sorts of influences and the information, but also that gives them a tremendous power to be part of solutions and to work for at least be they part of the conversation. About. Yes, yeah. yes.
0: Like you're so, they, right. they have they have to they they have knowledge. They 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 have things that they can bring to that conversation. You know, you mentioned Ban This Book at the outset. Yes. That's a book that I wrote because I wanted to bring attention to the book challenges and the book bannings that were happening already. That book came out in 2016. It could have been written today. It was long before this new rash of book challenges and bannings that we have that are are at the institutional level, like, like government level sometimes. Yes. And I was just writing it at a time when it was still happening, but it didn't feel as widespread or, or as top down little pockets. Right. At the time when I wrote it, the A, the ALA, the American library association Mm was, was estimated that there were, well, they, they said that they had about 300 challenges that they were aware of every year. Okay. And uh, challenges to books that were trying to be removed from, from, from library shelves. But they estimated that that was only like 15% of the actual challenges and book bannings that were happening in The United States, that most of the times they happen and they don't get reported. So the ALA only knows the ones that get reported to them. But a lot of times somebody checks out a book and never returns it, or a school decides that they're not going to carry, put a book in their library and it just goes away, you know, and there's no challenge over it. It's just done, you know. And so there are a lot of these books that would just kind of disappear off of shelves. And so If you do the math, then it turns into hundreds, thousands of books that were getting challenged or banned every year, sort of under the radar. So I wrote Ban this book to to shine a light on that. And and this plays into our previous answer to give kids the, the, the ability to be a part of that conversation, to tell them what's happening, to talk about the different sides of things and to give them. I don't want to say talking points because it's not like a PowerPoint, but it, it's like, but I, but I want to give them that knowledge so that they can be a part of that conversation. And, and if it came up in their community, that they could ha- already be ready to respond.
1: Yes. I, I had
0: no idea that I was writing like a field guide to 2021 or 2022. <laughs> right? I mean, who knew that, right? I mean, like what's going on now is just astounding to me. But honestly, it's been going on in the background, just not at the level that we're seeing it now.
1: Yes, I couldn't agree more. And I think the thing that I liked about banning this book is Amy Ann, your main character. My favorite part is that not only is it centering around the books being banned and how they're going about taking care of that and dealing with it, but sh- her learning the lesson of sharing her thoughts, that they're valuable, yep. that what she thinks inside should come out of her mouth. And I right. just felt so... <laughs> encouraged to by that book. So yeah. yeah, I thought the same thing though, when I was reading it, I was like, this is, this could not have come out this long ago. That Right. It, Some people, yeah.
0: I, I get people on Twitter who are like, wait, check the pub date on this. When did this come out? And yeah, because it feels like I wrote it now as a response to what's going on, yes. but I didn't. In fact, if I wrote it now, you know, uh, I, I, I I wrote it from the point, of, I, I wrote it with a my my book challenger, my yeah. banner in the book, is one of those let's protect the kids, folks, like we talked about yes. at the beginning, right? Yes. So that's her motivation. we yeah. got to protect kids. Unfortunately, I think that a lot of the motivation behind the book challenges and banning now is not just let's protect the kids. There's a lot of racism in it. There's yeah. a lot of, uh, of trying to, 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 to squelch. Uh, other voices. Absolutely. It's a lot of white folks saying we don't want to hear about other people and we don't want to be criticized. Right. And so I think that the motivation behind a lot of the book cha- challenges and banning now are even more awful yeah. <laughs> than than the one I wrote about in my book. So if I had been writing that book today, I don't know that I would have treated my book challenger as gently, maybe mm, as I do yes, in the yes, book, I, yes. I don't let her off. I, I I don't say that she's right at all, and I Correct. don't let her off the hook. But but I have people convince her that kids don't really need that kind of protection, right? Right. That, that books don't hurt people the way that she think that she's that she's claiming that they do. If I was writing that book today, I would definitely want to dive into the 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 racially motivated reasons, the politically motivated reasons too that people are challenging and banning books.
1: Yes. It's the difference between what we were talking about and you mentioned the the protective side and then the silencing
0: that these right. are right. that there is more. I think a lot of, of the edge. contemporary one is to silence right. other people, right? Yes. We don't want to see gay perspectives. We don't want to see black perspectives. You know, we don't want to see anything that's critical of white people or 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 the United States. Right. You know, so like there, there's a whole lot going on now with, yes. with the book Challenges and Bannings that I don't cover in my book because honestly, I wrote it back in 2016 and that wasn't the focus mostly of the book Challenges and Bannings back then.
1: Right. Well, maybe you can write Ban This Book the sequel. Maybe.
0: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Although- maybe, maybe I'll do Amy Ann as a, as a parent you know, down the road and her own kid is dealing with this and, and, um, and, oh. it, and it gets e- even more heated. But but at Absolutely. least at the very, at the heart, the core message of that book though, is that nobody has the right to tell you what you can and can't read, except your parents, right? Amen. I always love to put that little writer on there because really that's like the last, that's the last line in the sand that, yeah. that you know, your parents have got the call, you know, if, yes. if they want you, don't want you to read Hunger Games when you're 10, you can't read Hunger Games when you're 10, even if, even if the library has it, you know, yes. the library has it so everybody can get it but your parents can tell you no. Okay, so that message at least, that core message that nobody can tell you what you can and can't read still remains, right? Yes. It, it, to have a free and open society, we have to allow books that we don't like to be on the yes. shelf. Books that I don't like to be on the shelf, right? Not just the ones that people want to ban. Like there may be a book I'm like, oh man, I hope nobody reads that book, but it has to be on the shelf. It's not my call whether you read it or not, right? Yes, So that's the core message. And and I, no matter what the motivation behind the book challenges and bannings is going forward, that I think still remains.
1: Yes, I agree. And I'm so glad that you said that because it's, it's so true. I, I mean, there are plenty of books that I don't care for in our library right. and kids check them out. And that is, but seeing it as a, this is part of, I'm not writing their story. That's not my job. So they're right. writing their own story and they need to Step into that in the way with guidance from their parents. I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Alan, I think I could talk to you all day about (laughs) books, but I have one more question for you. And this is sort of so I didn't prep you on this, but I was wondering if you had a question for me since this podcast Hmm. is Ask a Librarian.
0: Right. That's great. Yeah. Well, I, I always love to know what kids are checking out. And I'm not fishing for my for my <laughs> yes. books. I, I would love to know that. I'd love to hear that when I know they're checking <laughs> those books out. But what are your kids into? Ooh, that's a good question. So we
1: have our kids. Judd Winnick came to our. Oh, sure. School. I know him. I've
0: met him. Oh, yeah. He's
1: awesome. So they love Hilo. Yeah. So those are definitely popular. What else? Wings of Fire. That thing flies off the shelf. No. Sure. My daughter
0: loved those when she was a kid. Do they do they read the graphic novel versions more now, or do they still go to the prose novels? Both.
1: We just okay. got the graphic novels this year. Yeah. So we've only had prose for a while, so they've really enjoyed yep. those. Dragons uh, Wings, are always great. Yes, I'm always the ones I'm always pushing. Oh, Keeper of Lost Cities. Oh, Land I don't know that. Stories,
0: it are the, oh, Land of Stories, I know, but Keeper of Lost Cities? The Keeper of
1: Lost Cities. I think it's Messner is the author. I'll have to look it up. I'll link it in okay. the show notes, but Keeper of Lost Cities, they are fat books and the kids love them. So that's a really good one. It's a series. There are probably, I think we have seven in the library. There may be more because it takes forever to get them. I'm always
0: astounded when kids read those doorstopper books.
1: Oh my gosh. That would
0: have scared me off as a kid, but there's a lot of kids who are like, give me the thousand page book. I'd do it.
1: Oh, yeah. I have some that will say, I want a really big book. And I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) can you be more specific? (laughs) But I also am loving Dragon Breath and Hamster Princess. Those are both by Ursula Vernon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're hilarious. So I send out a lot of those. I like Alvin Ho, which is just really funny. I love funny. So anything like that. Mac Barnett, The Shareable Two, we have those. So, yeah, that's most of what they're checking out. We also have the series You Wouldn't Want To. Have you ever seen those books?
0: No, I have not seen those. (laughs) You
1: might enjoy them. You wouldn't want to live without soap. You wouldn't want to be a samurai. You wouldn't want to be... And they're... Just they have all, all the of, bad things. About oh my stuff. gosh, gross facts and trails. I mean the whole thing. So some of the kids That's funny. just I love that. Eat idea. Those up. Yeah. Those I, and really and I'm a,
0: so I'm with you. I I love humor. I I love yes. to be funny. A lot of times I write about really serious stuff, and so I struggle to find a place to put humor in there. But sure. like you said earlier, it's really important to not just put all the bad stuff in to just make it sort of down, down, down. That, that nobody i don't I don't know of anybody who really wants to read that. Everybody needs a break, you know? Yes. There's a reason that that a lot of action movies have scenes where we just kind of sit around and have a couple of jokes for a minute because you got to have some relief from all that stuff. Yes. so I try to put that in there where I can. I've got the two boys in Canada are my, are, are my comedy duo in, in Two Degrees, and I've been really having a lot of fun with them. But even the other characters, even the, even during a hurricane, even during a the wildfire, they're still trying to find room for a little bit of humor in there. Uh, I try to find room for a little bit of humor in there. I think it's so important, and I think oh. that that to write something that's totally humorless for middle grade really the mar- misses the mark. Because I think that, that kids, and again, they value the serious stuff. And they yes. want the serious stuff. They want to be taken seriously like adults, but they're also still kids.
1: Yes. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Alan, I love what you bring to the world of books. I have really enjoyed this conversation. So thanks so much for these minutes. I There are so many pieces of this I'm going to revisit because you are definitely a talented author, but also very wise in <laughs> a lot of the pieces. And I loved, I loved talking to you, so thank you.
0: Thanks. It was my pleasure. Maybe we could do it again sometime. And uh, thanks for thanks for reading my books and for sharing them with your young readers. That you know, I could I could write the best book in the world. And if if I didn't have librarians out there to put it in people's hands, nobody'd read it. So thank you for what you do.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my gift. And we will definitely do this again. Totally. It's happening. I'm booking it right now. <laughs> All right. Thanks, friend.
0: <laughs> thanks a lot, Julie.
1: Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at Words, or you can go to my website, JulieWritesWords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. Planning for your next trip?